please be seated. And as you take your seat, you can open your copy of the Word of God to the prophet Jeremiah, chapter 9. We're going to look at a few verses this morning at the end of this chapter, particularly Jeremiah 9, 23, and 24 on this Reformation Sunday. I want to set the context for you in Jeremiah. Jeremiah preached for many, many years, over four decades, and he really never had a convert. That would be distressing. <laughs> he preached and preached prior to the Israelites going into bondage, Babylonian captivity. And so there's widespread sin and corruption in the land. As you read through all the verses of chapter 9, you'll find in chapter 9, verse 3, it says, Falsehood and not truth has grown strong in the land, for they proceed from evil to evil, and they do not know me, declares the Lord. And then in verses 12 through 14, the prophet says, speaking on behalf of the Lord, Why is the land ruined and laid waste like a wilderness so that no one passes through? And the Lord answers his question, Because they have forsaken my law, that I set before them, and have not obeyed my voice or walked in accord with it, but have stubbornly followed their own hearts and have gone after the Baals and their fathers as their fathers taught them. And so this Lord is going to send these people into exile. He says in verse 7, Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, I will refine them and test them, for what else can I do because of my people? So the Lord goes on in this chapter to call for a national lament, for mourning. And the passage comes to a close with some very sobering and helpful words, beginning with verse 23. You come to the end of chapter 9, we find both a summary of the problem and a summary of the solution. The problem is living life apart from God, without faith without obedience to His Word, living a selfish, self-absorbed, and autonomous existence, and boasting in it, boasting in or relying on things the world deems important, namely worldly wisdom and human strength or power and might and affluence and riches. And things haven't changed much in many, many years. There is a sense in which human beings, apart from God, rejoice of these things. Their own wisdom, their own intellect, their own ability to solve their problems. Their own might and strength and power. Their own affluence and riches. See, this passage presents very simply, and I would concentrate this morning on verses 23 and 24, it presents secular boasting and sacred boasting. Secular boasting or ungodly boasting is whenever we celebrate these things in our lives apart from God. He says, let not the wise man boast of his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast of his might, let not the rich man boast of his riches. 
And so we have three individuals, the wise man, the mighty man, and the rich man. And all three of these demonstrate life apart from God, and they demonstrate how the Israelites are conducting themselves uh, during this time period. But then the Lord gives a positive, and that is in verse 24. But let him who boasts, boast of this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness and justice and righteousness on the earth, for I delight in these things, declares the Lord. And so this morning we're going to look briefly at these three individuals and the example of secular or ungodly boasting, and then we're going to look at the example that the Lord gives us through Jeremiah of sacred or godly boasting. Not all boasting is wrong. Whenever we boast, we think of bragging. And whenever we brag upon ourselves and we brag upon things in our lives apart from God as if God didn't give us any of it, when we know that the Lord created us and He gives us every good thing, according to James, that leads us or should lead us to boast not in ourselves, but in Him. And the Bible has a lot to say about that, especially the Apostle Paul in the New Testament. Let's pray and ask God to bless our time of study together today as we consider these two examples of boasting. Heavenly Father, I pray now that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart might be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Father, we wish to see Jesus and Him only. And we wish to wait patiently upon you and your spirit as you move in our lives through your word. And so bless us now as we study your word together and change us, mold us, and make us into the image of Jesus Christ. And we'll give you the praise and glory and honor for all that you will do as we make our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, first of all, he says, let not the wise man boast of his wisdom. What is wisdom? It's the ability to see the flaws and limitations of my own perspective as a human being and subsequently the corresponding ability to see things from God's perspective, to understand truth. That's all wisdom is. That's why the Bible says in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding or your own wisdom. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and He will direct your paths. So it is a God-given ability to think and act according to God's will and God's good pleasure. And the Bible makes it clear that wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord, with the acknowledgement that God is real, that He exists, and that He has a claim on me, that I'm created in His image. And I was created to glorify Him. He has a purpose and a plan for me. Proverbs 1.7 says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And no man is truly wise apart from the knowledge of God and the fear or the reverence of Almighty God. And the fear of God leads us to embrace all the wisdom and knowledge of God which is found exclusively in Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 4, 6, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Now, the Bible makes a distinction between godly wisdom on one hand, that is wisdom from above, and worldly wisdom, 
On the other hand, that is wisdom from below. Listen to the words of James 3, 14-16. If you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant. Do not be boastful, we could say, and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder of every evil thing. And so there is worldly wisdom, or wisdom from below, and heavenly wisdom. We want to make sure that we have that heavenly wisdom, or wisdom from God. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1, verses 20 and 23 to 25, Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? Paul goes on to talk about the wisdom that is found, true wisdom, in knowing and loving and obeying Jesus Christ. So worldly wisdom originates with the devil. It does not have God's perspective. But a selfish, self-centered, and limited perspective is that of sinful human beings. Worldly wisdom is knowledge apart from or divorced from God. It's an attempt to dismiss God in the interest of self-motivation and self-ambition. We can see an example of that in the Tower of Babel in Genesis chapter 11. You remember in verse 4 in Genesis 11, they said, the individuals, the citizens there, Come, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower whose top will reach to heaven. And let us make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. Babel represents life without God. It represents man's attempt to make a name for himself, to have a sense of significance apart from God. Without a truthful perspective, That is to say, knowledge of God's existence, His Word, and His sovereignty, of His plans and purposes. Human beings are left to their own limited, finite, insufficient knowledge. We can see this logic, or this tragic reality, in our own day, in a variety of ways. See, the Tower of Babel is really a symbol for all the self-sufficiency that would take place, all the anti-God thinking that would come to pass centuries later. When God and His wisdom are left out of the equation, the natural consequence is illusion that leads to delusion. Illusion that leads to delusion. There's a difference. An illusion is a false or misleading impression of reality false, misleading impression of reality. I can dream all day long that I'm a professional baseball player in the World Series. But at the end of the day, it's simply an illusion. Now, a delusion is a fixed, false belief that is resistant to reason or actual fact. I can think that I'm a Major League Baseball player, but you can probably talk me out of that. My wife can convince me very easily that I'm not that, you know. But if I keep on thinking something that is false, then I will become deluded into believing that this is actually a fact. This is reality for me. And we see this played out in various spheres. I think of human sexuality and marriage. 
Although God in His infinite wisdom has created man, male and female, with Adam and Eve, and brought them together to be husband and wife in the sanctity of marriage, the unregenerate mind lives with a sense that there's an illusion, that I know better than God. And subsequently, I will, believing an illusion, live out a delusion that the practice of ungodly and unbridled lust through homosexuality and every other kind of perversion is truthful, healthy, and good. That this is the real me. You see how that works? Illusion leads to delusion. And whenever we live deluded lives, we become those who call right, wrong, and wrong, right. And we begin to fight for that which is wrong, thinking that it's right and good and healthy. And isn't that what's going on in our society today? The whole of gender dysphoria is another example. Although God, and we add even here, science acknowledge only two genders, male and female, man's depraved mind, apart from God, leads him to the illusion of multiple genders. And finally, the delusion that multiple genders are factual and worth fighting for, in spite of evidence to the contrary. We live in a society where people are completely deluded in areas like this. And some are under an illusion that's leading quickly to a dilution. And it's scary. And our hearts ought to break for people like that. I think of excessive environmentalism. Although God made the world and everything in it, He alone controls the destiny of the world and everyone and everything on it. But the unregenerate, the selfish mind operates by the illusion that there is no God and thus... The preservation of the earth is in man's hands. We used to sing that song, he's got the whole world in his hands. Well, somebody who is excessive in environmentalism would say, no, we have the world in our hands. And the preservation of this world depends upon us. And what happens? The result is a balanced con- conservation of the environment, which the Bible endorses, degenerates to an unbalanced obsession at best or an ungodly worship at worst of the environment. It's just the same as what Paul says in Romans 1. If we do not worship the Creator, if we do not obey His Word and listen to Him and His Messiah, we will worship everything else in the created order. And that's what's taking place. If you have an illusion that we mortals control the environment, this leads to a delusion that God somehow made the earth in a faulty manner. He did not have the faulty human science or the dangers of carbon emissions and fossil fuels at his disposal. In other words, if God would have made the earth with our advice, he'd have done a much better job. Because we could have seen in advance what was going to take place. And this illusion leads to the greater delusion that man controls his own destiny. If there is no God, no heaven, no hell, all we have is in the here and now. So naturally, we must devote ourselves and our lives and our energies to maintaining life on earth as we know it. Ladies and gentlemen, there's so much information in the name of science about the environment, about CO2 and carbon emissions that is nonsense. 
I was reading an engineer the other day in a publication. He's saying, we know more about the face of the, the, face of the moon than we do about planet Earth. And for years, it's been proven that this Earth would continue for eons by itself. But you see, man, who is small, likes to be arrogant and raise himself up and elevate his control and his significance. And we do this whenever we neglect God. We leave Him out of the equation and we begin to operate on our own wisdom. We begin to celebrate intellect. And we begin to think that education is the answer to all things. And it's not. Because man's illusion leads to his delusion. And delusions can publish all kinds of information so that people start bandwagoning just because they read something in a publication. And they stop thinking about what they're actually reading. Or perhaps they need another source. Well, that is the wise man who boasts in his wisdom. Now notice the second one, and that is the mighty man. As simple human beings, we tend to trust in our own strength or power, not just our intellect or our wisdom, rather than God's. And God created human beings to glorify himself, and therefore our chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever, as Westminster says. A large part of our glorifying and enjoying God is reliance upon his strength and power rather than our own. This is not the world's way. The world celebrates human strength and power and achievement apart from God. I mean, think about that. Whenever we think of political power, we think of Washington, D.C. If we think of business power, we go to New York City. If we think of social power, we go to London, England. Or cultural power. If we think of fashion power, we think of Paris, France. And these places all over the world demonstrate man's trust in himself, his power and his own strength. You see, the mighty man is not just the one who is strong physically. The world celebrates power. The world celebrates building upon yourself, being a self-made man or a self-made woman. But listen to the words of Scripture, Jeremiah 17, 5. Thus says the Lord, curse is the man who trusts in mankind and makes flesh his strength, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. You know, a great example of this in the Old Testament was the character Samson, the judge. He was strong to be sure, but he lost sight of the fact that his strength came from the Lord. And he lived a careless life until one day the Lord took away his strength. You remember Samson played games with Delilah until finally he revealed the secret of his strength. He did not take sin seriously. And he lost his strength and the Philistines gouged out his eyes and took him and made him a slave to, or to run the grist mill. 2 Corinthians 12 says, Strength is made perfect in weakness. When I am weak in myself, says Paul, then I am strong. You see, all that the trust in ourselves and trust in our strength and trust in our power, that's all from below. God says, trust in me. You are powerful because of me in you. That's why the Bible speaks of Christ in us. That's why the Bible speaks of us being raised to the heavenly realms. 
you realize that whenever you're saved as a Christian, the Bible says that you, in a spiritual sense, are raised and seated with the Lord Jesus in heaven. We still have a life to conduct here on earth. But that perspective of knowing that my true citizenship is already established in heaven enables me to see my weakness here on earth and to trust in Christ so that I might live a life that is pleasing in His sight. This is why Paul says the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. The Lord calls us to trust in Him and to rely upon Him. Not in our own wisdom and certainly not in our own strength. But it goes on, he says, the wise man, let him not boast in his wisdom, the mighty man in his might, and the rich man, let him not boast in his riches. Wealth and affluence can be a very dangerous thing when we stop seeing them as gifts from God. Can't help but think of the story of the rich fool in Luke chapter 12. The man had all sorts of goods, and you remember he had so many goods that he had to tear down his barns, he thought, and build bigger ones. He says, there I will store all my grain and my goods, and I will say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. A.K.A. live your life now. Don't worry about God. You are a God to yourself. You're king of the hill. You have everything that you need, or so we thought. And so God took him that night and said, you fool." This very night, your soul will be demanded of you. And Jesus went on to explain the point of that story. This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich toward God. There's nothing wrong with money and affluence as long as you keep it in right perspective. As long as you remember that the Lord is the one who gives you everything you have. As Paul said, what do you have that you have not received? If you received it, why do you boast? as if it were not a gift. God makes us stewards of money. And sometimes He gives some more than others. But He expects that stewardship. And He expects us to keep it in right perspective and not start loving money. Because it is something that is insidious and can be loved very easily and quickly. For the Lord says, Let not the wise man boast of his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast of his might. Let not the rich man boast of his riches. And then he gives the positive, sacred boasting. But let a man boast, let him who boasts boast of this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness, justice, and righteousness on the earth. For I delight in these things, declares the Lord. Two things I want you to see here. First, the Lord says, boast in the fact that the Lord God Almighty has revealed himself to me. Now that's something to boast about. The Lord God Almighty who made me, who created me for His glory, has revealed Himself to me. Verse 24a, Let him who boasts boast of this, that he understands and knows me. That is, God has chosen to reveal Himself to me by His grace. I understand He is present in the world and in my life. And I have a personal relationship with Him because of His grace and mercy. Ladies and gentlemen, we don't search for God until He opens our eyes and our hearts to do so. And while we search for God, what happens prior to that is the Lord searching for us and the Lord drawing us to Himself. 
He has revealed himself to me by his grace through the offering of his sinless son, Jesus Christ. What a beautiful picture the transfiguration is of that. You know, a lot of people study their Bibles and they study religion. They go and get PhDs in religion and theology and philosophy. And here we see a picture of the Lord God Almighty revealing the law through Moses and the prophets as they stood there on the mountain. But then the Lord Jesus in shining radiance. You can't help but think of the words of Hebrews. He's the radiance of God's glory in the exact representation of his nature. God has revealed himself supremely in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And it's very important that we understand that and that we embrace that. Listen to the words of John Calvin. Not only condemned in these words is the boasting of human power and the glorifying in wisdom and in wealth, but that men are wholly stripped of all confidence they place in themselves or seek from the world in order that the knowledge of God alone may be deemed enough for obtaining perfect happiness. You see, it could be a curse if you're boasting in your wisdom, if you're boasting in your wealth, if you're boasting in your strength and power, your durability. We have to come to the end of ourselves and see that these things are insufficient before we embrace the gospel. But here he says, let him boast of this, that he understands and knows me. No wonder the Apostle Paul said, God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. That by His doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification. Boast in the fact that the Lord God Almighty has revealed Himself to you if you are a Christian this day. And you'll notice the Lord gives characteristics of Himself that demonstrate a second reason to boast, and that is we boast in His loving kindness, His justice, and His righteousness. Look at 24b. I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness, justice, and righteousness on the earth. For I delight in these things, says the Lord. You know, the Lord describes Himself in this passage with terms which outline the gospel of Jesus Christ. Look at it. Loving kindness. You can't help but think about John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him, whoever trusts in Him, shall not perish but have everlasting life. Ephesians 2.7, the Apostle Paul says, So that in the ages to come, He, that is God, might show the surpassing riches of His grace in kindness to us in Christ Jesus. That is the loving kindness of the Lord when He reveals and opens your eyes and He opens your heart to understand and embrace the gospel. Now you understand and embrace the one living and true God. But He also says justice. Can't help but think of Romans 5.1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord God Almighty is a just God. He's going to punish every sin. He's going to right every wrong one day. But the justice that He has shown us is in mercy because He poured out all of His wrath 
upon His own Son. All that wrath that was owed to you and me because of our sin, Jesus took it upon Himself. And that's why Paul says, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The God that we worship is a God of justice. And that's a frightening thing until you believe the gospel. Because then you see that God has remained just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. And your sins are atoned for. But not only that, he says righteousness. I can't help but think of 2 Corinthians 5.21. He, that is God the Father, made Him, that is Jesus the Son, who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. What a beautiful passage. You see, the Lord in these three characteristics looks down in love. He targets us. He sends His Son, Jesus, to die for us so that His wrath would be justifiably dealt with. And then He clothes us in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. He takes away all of our sin and gives us His righteousness so that we stand before Him, as Jude says, faultless on the day of judgment. That's why we read Galatians chapter 6 this morning. As Paul said, May it never be that I boast except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. That's something to boast about. When you boast in the cross of Christ, you boast about God's loving kindness and justice and righteousness because you have embraced the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And I pray that is the situation in all of our hearts this morning, that we know the living God in truth, and we can boast not that we came to Him on our own, but that He came to us in mercy and grace and kindness through the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Lord, we live in a world that celebrates so many things that take the spotlight off of you. We live in a world that lives in denial, with illusions and delusions. I pray, Lord, that we would never fall into that category. That, Lord, you would open our eyes, open our hearts, open our minds, that we would believe the truth. And that we would see ourselves as blood-bought sons and daughters of God who stand justly forgiven and who have righteousness, not our own, but of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Lord, comfort our hearts this day. Remind us that you're in control of all things, even though we live in a crazy world that seems so out of control in so many ways. Help us, Lord, to trust in you and to continue to put forward a gospel testimony with breaking hearts for those who are lost alone. Do all these things and more. We'll give you the praise and glory for what you will do. And we make our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.